Good morning, Family Church. This portion I'm about to share is not in my message, um, but I feel that it would be beneficial for us this morning. And as we're singing this song, it just came to my mind. Um, been trying to be much more uh, responsible and intentional about sharing my faith. And as I'm trying to do so throughout the week, I'm trying to grab some church members to go along. And Thursdays is kind of the day that I've set aside to go do that. And this Thursday, um, this past Thursday, I went with one of the church members, and we went out and talked with some people. And uh, as I was singing that last song this morning, it just revealed uh, exactly what was going on in the hearts of those individuals. Um, sometimes it's very encouraging when you share your faith and people respond to the gospel, um, and, and you really feel like God is using you for them. Uh, this past week, that didn't happen at all. Um, it, was, it was God was using those people for us. And we talked with six, seven people, and every single person we were talking with, pleading with, sharing um, some things of God, they wanted nothing to do with it. Very closed, running away from God, angry, angry at God. Um, and, and even one person we were talking with for 45 minutes wouldn't even admit any type of sin in life. I mean, they believed in God, they believed there was a judgment, but apart from they've never lied, they've never stolen, they've never dishonored their parents ever once. Um, and so you pinpoint some things. Well, well, that's not really what the Bible's talking about. And as we sang that last song, that we're running our hellbound race. We're, we're running because of the things we love. We're running to sin, things that promise joy that never brought joy. And in talking with all these people, you know, I, I just felt God speaking to us of, you were the same way. You're, you're the, exactly the same way running from me, loving the things of sin. And, and the song this morning that we sing, um, that's all of us. Yet God did some incredible things for us. And so I want to open up with prayer of a, a praise um, for God and also a prayer for this. So would you pray with me? God, we do give you praise this morning for what you've done. God, we did run from you. We ran our hellbound races. We've just sang this morning. We ran towards our sins because we love them. And our hearts are very hardened towards you, but you've done so many incredible things for us. You have allowed us so many gifts and promises and privileges. God, may that fill our hearts with joy, and out of that joy we are able to be obedient because you and as we've already sang, are, are the one that has given us the power to respond in faith, that we can be obedient to you. That is not something that dwells within us. But God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we pray for this morning that you may enlighten our hearts, help us to know more truths about you. God, we thank you for working in us. There are so many mysteries of how that happens, but at the end of the day, it brings about gratitude and thankfulness that you have done these things. Be with us this morning. May you speak to us and speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open them to, to Ephesians chapter 1. We've been working our way through Ephesians, and today we're looking at finishing Ephesians 1. Um, so we're going to go all the way from verse 15 to verse 23. So go ahead and open that, and we're going to begin unpacking these verses a little bit. 
I'm going to read 15 through 23, and then we'll begin to break those two things down. And in this letter, before we get into it, Paul, we've, we've sent out this letter. The, the letter's been sent to all the different churches. Ephesians was the, the church in mind as he wrote this. And we, we are about to read that Paul gave praise for two things to God. And then he offered some prayers to God on behalf of this church. And this letter went out to all churches. And we are a church that has received this letter. And so Paul's praises and prayers are also applicable for us. Paul was actually praying for us in the New Testament. Thousands of years later, all churches that were going to receive this, he was praying for. So it's very important. Let's begin in verse 15. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of himself, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in us in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There are two things that Paul first praises God for in, in the church. And this should be a characteristic of every church. It should be a characteristic of our church. And these two things, when you look in Verse 15, these are the things he says, I did, not giving, I did not stop giving praise for these things. And he begins in verse 15, the first thing is praise for their faith. Praise for their faith. That's what we as a church should be founded on is our faith in Jesus Christ. And he gives praise to this church and praise to God because of their deep commitment and loyalty to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But secondly... Paul gave praise for their love. Look with me in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. So this church was committed to one another. They were committed in love. When you have deep faith in Christ, it should translate into love for one another. That's, that's the way that this works. If you see a church and they say they're committed to Christ, but they're not loving, you can rest assured they're not really committed to Christ. And so he says, praising God, I'm thanking this church or I'm thanking you for this church's faith. And then secondly, praise for their love. But it wasn't just a love for anybody. It actually specifies here who was the love towards church. What does it say? To the saints. To the saints. Who were the saints? Well, Look to your left. I didn't see anybody look. We'll try this again. Look to your left. Okay, thank you. And look to your right. All right. Those are the saints. The saints are those in the church, followers of Jesus Christ. So he's saying that your love towards one another, the saints, that is something to praise God for. Specifically, we don't want to be a church that is a spectator sport on Sunday morning for an hour. I mean, if you tell me that we're a family, the, we just read how we're the body. We're a family. If you're saying a family comes together for an hour a week 
and that they're a family. I'm going to say they're not a family. A family is people together. They're unified. They're loving one another. They're sacrificial. They're listening. They're struggling in things together. That's what it means to be a family. That's what it means to be a church. And any church that isn't doing that isn't actually a body. They're actually coming and they're just sitting for a show or a spectator sport. And that's how many churches are. But that's not how we want this church to be. So that means that you have responsibility. I have responsibility. We should be connected. That's why we encourage you to go to connect groups that meet throughout the week. If you don't have one, start one. Come talk with us. Core classes, one-to-one discipleship, women's ministry, men's ministry. All of those people meet throughout the week. That's what it means to be a family. A couple of weeks ago, we gave away a book called Instrument in the Redeemer's Hands. An incredible book. We sold out of them in the bookstore, so we've ordered more. They're available if you want to buy some of those. But this book is incredible. Um, We're going through it as a staff. And so we always want to provide the resources we're going through together as a staff for you. And so we have those. We always want to put them at cost. If If we can equip you as a church member, you're going to read through these things. We don't want to make any money on it. We're just going to put those for cost, what we get them at. But we gave this book away, and we've been reading through it in our staff meeting, and I just want to read a little bit um, that was from this week. It says, God's agenda is for the church to be an incarnational community on earth so that our very presence here would reveal his grace and truth. He goes on to say this, relationships within our church community of faith are meant to reveal the person and work of Christ to a watching world, or in our instance, to a watching island. This love and unity has a greater goal than just enjoyable relationships. The goal is for the world to see and know Jesus Christ. So yes, we're here in the church. We have great relationships. We're building great relationships. I'm closer with some of you than I am with some in my own family because those in my family are not in Christ. And when we're in Christ... We're actually brothers and sisters. I don't know if you've ever had that experience when you're closer with somebody than some of your own family because of your faith that's common. Well, that's how the Bible talks about it. And Paul David Tripp in this book, he gives a great illustration of love and unity in the church and how Jesus set this whole thing up. Jesus chose 12 disciples, very specifically who he chose. And two of those disciples we're going to look at. And this is a kind of a quote in the book, example of Matthew Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jew who collected taxes from Jews to give to the Romans. So he was considered a turncoat. He was considered somebody who was a sellout to his own people. He worked for a foreign government that was oppressing the Jewish people. He was employed by them and exploited his own people. That's what his job was as a tax collector. Take money from his own people and give to somebody else. And he was called as a disciple. That was Matthew. And then on the other hand, you have Simon the Zealot. Now Simon, a zealot, was somebody who was a radical, conservative, like militia type person. This was somebody who was ready to overthrow the Roman government. And they were convinced the only way the Roman government was going to be overthrown was by force. And they were ready to stir people up, give out weapons, and rally against them. Political activist extremist. Right? So we think the, the liberal party and the tea party are like two extremes. Well, this was far worse when you have Matthew and then you have Simon the zealot. And there's nothing the zealots hated more than the tax collectors. 
Yet Jesus called both of them and said, come be my disciples. To where they spent every day together for the next three and a half years into this community. Well, what was Jesus doing? Well, the world was seeing how these two, by all accounts, should not be loving one another. Yet Jesus had other plans. And it was an extreme unity and extreme love. It's always been the, the saying over dinner, don't talk two things. What is it? Politics and religion. Can you imagine the conversations they had? Jesus' disciples, right? And both political figures. I'm sure they talked a lot of religion and politics. Yet, we see them the most unified, bringing together the church body. And God used them. And that's the same example he wants us. There's nobody, there's nobody in here more extreme than those two figures. And God is bringing those people together because we have a bigger common denominator. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the bigger common denominator than any of these things. So we see Paul and he's praising them for their faith. He's praising them for their love. And then he goes into a prayer, a prayer for the church. And he's going to pray five things we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, beginning in verse 17, Paul prays this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What Paul is praying is that we grow in our knowledge of God. What we grow in our knowledge of God. That's a pastor's prayer, that, that the church may grow in their knowledge of him. But I want to ask the question for us this morning, how is it that we grow in our knowledge of God? Very simple question, but the Bible actually has some difficult answers sometimes for this. Well, how is it we do it? Well, we can look in verse 17. There's a couple of clues there. It says that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. So we need to see where the source is. God is the one who gives us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of himself. He gives that to us. And then in verse 18, that our eyes of the heart are enlightened. And he's the one that enlightens. So, well, how does this knowledge of him happen? He, he just gives it? Well, the Bible says, hearing the word of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. This is one way how we grow in our knowledge of him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. Beginning in verse 9, it says this, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed. There's that another word like that. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Again, we see that God's the one who reveals these things. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by who, church? The Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, the natural person... That is someone who does not have salvation. says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. 
So the person in faith, the Christian, can understand the things of God because they have what living in them? The Spirit. And it says the non-Christian, the person who's not a believer, can't interpret and understand the things of God because he does not have the Spirit living within him. So the question is kind of begged there of, well, how do you get the Spirit? How do you get the Spirit of God within you? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 10, or at least write it down. You don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Write the reference down because this is some homework coming up in a little bit. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says this. Listen carefully. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Romans is saying the natural man receives faith through hearing what? The word of God. Well, if they don't have the spirit of God, how do they hear the word of God? coming to them if they can't discern the things of the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit? That's a big question, right? I mean, it seems very, well, you just hear the Word of God. Well, the Bible says the person without the Spirit of God can't understand the Word of God given to them. Only a spiritual man with the Spirit can understand the Word of God. And so there's this dilemma there, but there is an answer. And so that's some homework, because I don't have time to dig into it. But that's some homework I want to give you. I want you to look at those two verses, dig into them. If you have questions, come talk with us. We want to talk with you. We'd love to talk with you about it. But dig into that, because there's no contradiction in those two things. How does somebody come to know and get the Spirit of God? On a practical point, I do want to touch on a couple of things here in regards to how God speaks to us. And how he grows us. And one practical point is we come to church, we need to be prepared. So every Sunday, you need to bring the word of God. I encourage you, get your own copy if you don't have one. Again, we have a bookstore. We can order you whatever type of Bible, whatever translation. Terry will love this. Whatever type of leather you want the Bible in, okay? This goes into a lot of the things. We're not going to go into it. Whatever you want, we can order that and get it at cost for you. We want you to be equipped. So... Bible, a notepad, bring a notepad, bring a pen. When you get questions, write those things down. I encourage you, as you're reading through the Word of God, put a three by five note card in there. And every time you come across something and you're like, what does that mean? Write the reference and the question. And after a week of doing that, you'll have a full note card of things. Typically, you would have been like, what does that mean? I'll come back to it. And you never do, right? You, You never do. But write those things down. God works and speaks to us. We're coming to church ready to hear from the Word of God. So let's be prepared practically with Bibles, pens, pencils, and a notepad in hand. And we are always available. Always available. All throughout the week, always available. I know some people think pastors only work on Sundays. We're here all the time, ready to meet with you, and we would love nothing else than to sit down and spend time over the Word of God in prayer and to talk with you about family, children, life, what you're learning in the Bible, what God's speaking to you, questions you may have. There's nothing that fills our heart with joy more than seeing God work in his people. So we would love for you to take advantage of that. And it helps, it helps us, it helps you, and it helps the body. Number two, Paul continues to pray for a couple of things. And number two is he prays that we know God's promises. We know God's promises. Look with me in verse 18. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you to. In 2 Peter, it says that he has given us precious and very great promises. 
I went out this week and I was asking people if they understood their hope or where it comes from, the promises of God. And most people don't. And I think a lot of Christians, we don't understand the promises of God. But we have been given very special things. If we don't understand them, we can't build our life on foundation if we don't know what the foundation is. And so we need to understand these promises. And it's incredible because that was in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, a little bit farther down in there in verse 14. Listen to what he says. And he's saying, have hope. He has hope in these promises. He says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. He knew he was about to be crucified, upside down. Yet he's saying, we have great precious promises of God. Just a couple of verses later, he, he knew what was coming down the road. That is the essence of the Christian faith. We have these things, and it's essential we understand God's promises. It's very important that our Christian faith is not based on our health, our circumstances, our finances, our feelings, or how much you know about God. It's not based on those things because those things can always change. Well, what if you learn something that sounds contradictory to God? All of a sudden, is that going to change? Is your financial status going to change your relationship with God? Because none of those things are stable in your life. They're always going to be moving. What happens when something horrific happens to a family member or a spouse? Something unfair happens. Somebody is diagnosed with something. You get a phone call. You receive a letter. Diagnoses are given. News is given. What happens to your faith in those moments? Because if your faith is built on circumstances, situations, trials, finances, news, health, Family, friends, if it's built on any of those things, when those things crumble, and they will at some point in your life, what happens to your faith? I mean, even in our church life, we can sometimes allow these things to happen. There's things that we like or really don't like or don't agree with, and sometimes it really allows, and it changes our relationship with God. And, and, and all of a sudden, this whole thing is not based on God and His glory and us praising God. It's really based on who? Us. My circumstances. What I think should happen. What I think is fair. And when we start going down that road, it just leads us to a place where there is no God and we are our own God. And the only thing it's going to cause is bitterness. What happens when natural things happen, supernatural things? What happens when a tornado or a hurricane touches down and takes, takes somebody from your family away? Was God not in control of the weather? What are we basing our faith on? And these are the promises. If you don't understand the promises, when those things happen, which they will, what do we do? Well, that's why it's so important we understand the rich promises that God has given us. Is there anything in your life, and I want to I ask you this question, is there anything in your life that could or could not happen that's going to make you question God? You know, we, we sing here, we talk about giving it all, it's all yours, all I have is Christ, nothing else. What, what about your family? What about your son, your daughter, your parent, all your money, all your stuff? I mean, we sing all, but do we really think, what if that happened? Is that going to rock my faith so much that it's going to change what I think about God. 
We went to a conference, I think it was a year and a half ago, and one of the speakers' wives was taken from them. Their daughter had also been taken, and we asked him about that. And, and one of the things he said is, God's grace and faithfulness to me is not dependent on my spouse. You know, God gave me this blessing and he takes it away. And so he will give me, he will give me what I need. You know, it was just this simple, solid answer of that was a blessing that was in my life. And God took that away and he will fulfill me now. He will continue to do so. And those are promises that we have to know and trust in. And I I say this because I don't want you to be unaware. Because the major Christian message today is not... It's not this. It's life will be great as a Christian. And I remember, I remember being asked that specifically years ago at a car dealership at all places, um, having a conversation with the guy behind the counter, and somehow he just said, I don't know if something just happened in his life, but he said, man, it really seems like this whole Christian thing just really makes life easier and better. And I remember like with a sigh of relief saying, oh, it sure does. You know, like, that was just the natural response because in some senses it does. But immediately afterward, I had to correct myself and say, you know, we still go through the storms. We still go through the trials. We still have the bad news. We still have all of those things happen. But it's, now there's other promises. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You know, those are big deals that happen. John chapter 16, verse 33 where it's saying, I have said these things to you. Jesus saying, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. That's his promise. In Jesus you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise too. You know, that's not, that's not promises that are being taught in Christianity today. So if you hear promises and you hear this faith-based, everything's going to be great, that's not what Jesus told us. That's not what Jesus told his disciples. He said, you will be dragged into court. You will be flogged. You will have all these things happen to me. In Matthew 10, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. They will drag you before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you, do not be anxious for how you are to speak or what you are to say. For the words will be given to you in that hour. Those are promises in there. Good promises and also promises to be aware of. It says, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of the father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child. Isn't that amazing that a father would deliver their children over to death on the sake of the gospel? That's how much the Bible talks about sin, hating the things of God, that own father would deliver their their child over to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. A precious promise. When they persecute one in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns in Israel before the Son of Man comes. So there's a prayer there. Moving on to the end of 18, there's another prayer, and it's that we might know the riches of his inheritance, the riches of his inheritance. Pastor Terry spoke a lot about inheritance last week, but it's not just that we have inheritance. The Bible actually says we are an inheritance. That's incredible that God considers us as his children part of an inheritance and that we are part of that. 
Number four in verse 19 through 20 says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? Well, the fourth thing is that we might know God's power. We serve a powerful God that is no, not bound by anything. And Paul is praying that the churches understand God's power. And not something far off in our life, but something we experience. We actually have already saying this this morning. Mighty Savior, lifted high, King forever, Jesus Christ, crowned in glory, raised to life. This same power lives in us. The same power that conquers the grave lives in us as believers in Jesus Christ. That is incredible, incredible news. And that we are an inheritance and he's given us these things for this life. The very same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And, and as God's people, because of this power, because of his death, because of the justification that's happened, we don't fight for victory, church. We fight from victory. We are already victorious. The battle's already been won. So we fight from victory, not because we need to be victorious. And that's where we should find great joy that he's done these things. Find great joy that he owns me. I find joy you know, the, the world doesn't understand that. But I find joy that God owns me. Because God takes care of the stuff he owns and loves. And he did some things. And so we find great joy in that. So with this great power, Paul also prays that we would understand God's position. God's position. And there's two positions that I want us to look at in these next four verses. We're going to break them down into two categories. The first one is in... Verses 20 through 21, Christ's position in heaven. Christ's position in heaven. It says, He worked in Christ, raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. So we're seeing here Christ is seated. What does that mean? His work is finished. That's what it means. When a king sat down, it, it signified his work was finished. And it says he is far above, not just a little above, or above. It says far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. All heavenly things he is over and in charge of. So he is seated in a position of power in heaven. Verses 22 and 23, Christ's position on earth. Let's read those in verse 22 and 23. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And some of us are thinking, okay, all things are under his feet and, and he has a position of power on the earth. That's not a God that I hear preached very often. I mean, I hear the God preached, especially when we're looking at end times in Revelation, that God is like kind of on the sidelines of the game. Have you ever played a sport and you're losing and you really just want to get in there because you think you can make the difference? I know it's very prideful thinking, but we've all had that feeling, right? Where I just got to get in there. And, and we act like Jesus is on the sidelines and he's like, I just got to get in there. I mean, look at that melting down and this and, the, and these people being killed for their belief in me, and, and, but I'm just going to let it happen but I really want to get in there and change it. That's, that's not God seated on the throne. That's God standing up anxious about what's going on. And a lot of times that's, that's the type of preaching that we think. I mean, is his work finished? 
says he is seated on the throne. He is high and lifted up. He is above all things, all power, all dominion. All things have been given over to him. So we need to understand evil in the world. Yes. Political parties, this president, this terrorist group, these beheadings, all of these things are not outside of his control. What about cancer and sickness and all of these diseases that are running rampant. I mean, is, is God not able to fix those things? And as soon as he fixes one, another one springs a leak and he has to run over there? That's a lot of times how we sometimes feel or think. That is not a picture that the Bible says of God. It says he put all things, all things under his feet. So do you believe that this morning? All things in the world, in America, in your life, in your health, in your family's health. All things are under his feet. He does what he likes. He has all authority, power, and dominion. What a small God we so often believe in. Goes back to these promises. What do we believe about God? And how does it affect us? He's ruling. All things under his feet. But listen to what else it says. This is incredible. It says it gave him as head over all things to the church. The church, us, he's put over all things. This is his, not ours. We're a part of it. We're a blessing in it. We're an inheritance in it, but it is his. It says, put him all over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him. Does God care about his church? Absolutely. Why does God care about his church? It tells us because it's his body. I mean, I love my body. And I do what I want to do with my body and take care of my body because it's mine and I love it. And you do the same with your body. You do what you want to do and you love your body. You take care of your body. If this is God's body, does he care about it? Yes. He takes care of his body. He does what is right for his body always because he's the one that the Bible says grows his church. He's the one that sanctifies his church. He's the one that works in his church. We are his body and we should find great joy in that, that he is over all things. You know, sometimes we hear in the next so many years, the church is going to be extinct. What are we talking about with God's body in that moment? God's going to allow his body to die. You know, it's his body and he cares about it richly. What a frightful thought when you think about all the things that sometimes happens in his body, and also to his body. I mean, do we really, and the world doesn't understand this, but when they come against Christians, they're actually coming against God's body himself that he's head over. That is a scary, frightful thought. But that's exactly what the Bible says. As we close this morning, I want to read Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. And as we turn there, would you please stand? And I want us to stand and read this word together as we close with God's purpose, his power, his position. All authority has been given to him. And so we just continue to pray that we may understand these things. Beginning in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray as we ought to, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he predestined to be confront, conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined he called. Those whom he called he justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. God did these things. Look in verse 31. And then they say, what shall we say to these things? Because if God is for us, then who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, for we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we do acknowledge you as King of kings. God, you have been given all power, all honor, all authority, all dominion. God, help us to understand that. That you care about your church. It is your body. You are the one that works. You are the one that grows. You are the one that sets apart, sanctifies. You are the one over all things. Help us to understand you are seated on your throne, high and lifted up. You are not on the sidelines wishing you could jump in and fix things. God, all things are happening, as we know from your scripture, for the purposes of your will and for your glory. So God, help us take a step back and be in awe of who you are, what you've done in our life. God, that even when we desired and ran after sin, that you loved us, you died for us, you saved us. God, we thank you for your provision in that. We thank you for the blessings that we experience every day. God, we thank you for your word that we've opened up, that we've dug into this morning. I do pray that we may understand your promises. We may understand your mercy. We may understand your position and your power. God, I pray that you may continue to help us in our faith and growing in our faith. God, help us as a church to be a light to those around us. Help us to have love and unity among the saints as you've called us to have. God, we give you praise for all things. What a privilege it is to be sons and daughters of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you are dismissed and we'll be available if you have any questions for us or anything. Have a good day.